0: We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. Hey everybody, thanks for joining me. This is Shane Claiborne and I love this time we get together every week. Some of you are listening on the radio show, some are listening on the podcast and uh, I've been doing this series. Don't worry if you missed uh, the, you know, if you're just tuning in or whatever, but uh, I wrote this new book called Rethinking Life and it's about the sacredness of Every person and being a champion for life without exceptions, pro-life from womb to tomb, uh, not seeing just being anti-abortion as enough to to encompass being um, uh, truly for life. And so thinking about the death penalty, the environmental crisis, immigration, um, you know, so many other issues, poverty as issues of life and death. And uh, and and I care about abortion too. We're going to talk about that, but as I set the foundation for this kind of robust ethic of life, um, one of the things I start with is Jesus, uh, and I want to talk about Jesus today because you know Jesus, the the way, the truth, the life. Jesus says he's the living water. He's a uh, uh, the bread of life. He's the narrow way that leads to life. And we know this, that God is like Jesus. Jesus is like God. As Jesus himself said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And the New Testament says that Jesus is the full revelation of God. So, if we want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus. Now, one of the problems is that Um, A lot of what um, tries to suffice, tries to kind of cover as Christianity doesn't look a lot like Jesus, doesn't really uh, sound or love or act like Jesus in the world. And yet the word Christian means Christ-like. So... Most of you, if you've tuned into this show for long, you know that we're a part of this movement called Red Letter Christians, and some of you may have heard me tell the story about where we first got our name, but uh, there was a DJ in my home state of Tennessee, and and, and actually, it's important that this was a country music DJ, a secular Jewish country music DJ, so that's a lot to kind of take in there. And he's talking to my friend, Jim Wallace, and they're talking about religion. They're talking about the Bible. And this DJ says, you know, I've I've read a lot of the Bible. And there's parts of it that I love. There's parts of it that I find confusing, you know, even troubling. Um, And and then the guy says, "Uh, but I've always liked the stuff in red. And he was referring to the Bibles that have the words of Jesus highlighted in red. And he said, you guys seem to like the red letters. You should call yourselves red letter Christians. And uh, you know it kind of stuck, and now we've got this movement around the country and increasingly around the the globe of people who aspire to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. That that's what we say. There's you know when I when I was in high school, we had the these bracelets that said "What would Jesus do?" WWJD. And I think we're, you know, hopefully we're going a lot deeper than that. But there is a sense that Jesus is our sounding board. Is, is Jesus is our moral compass. Um, if we want to know how to live in the world, we look to Jesus. Uh, and we're going to talk about this even as we look at Scripture. We interpret Scripture through the lens of Jesus. So this is what's beautiful for me. I, You know, I think about Jesus as we no longer just have words on paper paper but we have god's word becoming flesh come on that's what the gospel of john says right the the word became flesh or as one interpretation that it says god put skin on and moved in <laughs> god moved into the neighborhood god moved in among us and now we see god with skin on god's love made flesh As uh, one pastor friend of mine uh, said, we believe in the authoritative, inerrant, infallible word of God. His name is Jesus. There is nothing in God that contradicts Jesus. Uh, Jesus has been uh, God from the beginning of all time. And so this is what's interesting, though. When Scripture seems like it's at odds with Jesus— Jesus becomes the referee, right? Even Jesus becomes a referee. That's good, right? Like, I, I heard a theologian tell me that one time, you know, when Scripture even seems to contradict itself, um, Jesus becomes the referee, the sounding board, the litmus test. Uh, and certainly you can read Scripture and find what you want in there. And that's why the Bible is so beautiful, but also it's so dangerous. If you want to find verses to oppress women, you can find them in scripture. If you want to find uh, verses and even passages that are about uh, the equality and liberation and empowerment of women, you can find it there. Same with slavery, same with violence. And so Jesus becomes the word made flesh. And Jesus is the greatest champion of life that ever lived. Jesus is constantly subverting death. He enters a world full of violence. I mean, even when Jesus is being born, King Herod, um, in his own insecurity and fear and thirst for power, begins trying to massacre babies in order to take out Jesus. So Jesus enters the world as a, a homeless baby refugee in the middle of Herod's genocide, and as the Prince of Peace, he subverts death and violence at every turn. I mean, you think about uh, all through Scripture, says they were plotting to kill him, and yet Jesus loves. On the cross, they tried to kill him, but Jesus subverted their hatred and violence with love and forgiveness and An empty tomb now I do want to say this though I'm if you it, it's no coincidence that one of the biggest debates in the early church was called Marcionism after the person Marcion that uh, championed this idea, but it was it was this idea that the God that we see in Jesus is different and better uh, than the Old Testament God, right? So there's this this idea that emerged that was eventually ruled a heresy, but it was that uh that that we've got the the new and improved God that somewhere between uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament, of uh, Malachi, the last book of the Hebrew Scripture, and Matthew, the first uh, you know book of the New Testament, God uh, got born again or went through anger management or something happened, right? And yet this is interesting because. It was a debate. I mean, they're trying to reconcile the perfect love that we see in Jesus with some pretty violent texts and passages of Scripture. Uh, so it's interesting, first of all, that it was a debate. It's also noteworthy that it was ruled a heresy. And a heresy is often when one truth is exaggerated. Um At the cost of another truth, right? When we sort of like, uh, I I often describe it as like the car runs off the right side of the road and you yank the wheel and you run off the left side of the road. um, And we overcorrect or we exaggerate one truth and we forget another one. But I want to say this, you know, it's it's hard as you look at scripture. There is a lot of violence. Uh, What's, uh, you know, sometimes called these texts of terror terrible violence um like judges 19 when it, there's a brutal gang rape of a nameless concubine and she dies of, of her injuries and her master cuts her body into pieces and then distributes it to the 12 tribes of Israel i mean it's there judges 19 right so i mean this little um show today is not pg 13 um uh, i mean it's it's there's some really violent stuff in Scripture. I mean, even, even the, the, the stories that become iconic images, like the Exodus story, where God rescues the enslaved people uh, in Pharaoh's Egyptian empire. But, you know, hundreds, maybe thousands of folks died in Pharaoh's army as the Red Sea swallowed them up. And we think of Sodom and Gomorrah and the raining down of fire from heaven, Um I mean, the flood, Noah and the flood right there where um, every human and animal on earth is destroyed except for the pairs that, you know, enter in the the the, the ark of Noah and Noah's family. And uh, I think of my friend Greg Boyd. He tells the story of a kid uh, he knows who said, but what happened to the other animals uh, that didn't make it on Noah's boat? Didn't God love them, too? <laughs> So this is stuff we've got to wrestle with. These texts of terror where, um, you know, Israelites are told to mercilessly slaughter anything that breathes. And, you know, like in Deuteronomy 20, it says, including animals and children. There's all, 37 times in the Old Testament that there are variations of the command, kill everything that breathes. I mean, there's there's one passage in Numbers 31 where um it, 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 the, the Midianites um, are slaughtered except for the virgin girls. And it says that the soldiers are told to save for themselves the spoils of war. Where you see bodies become disposable or even used as currency of war, a part of God's divine plan. So, I mean, this, this is where we're going, y'all. Uh, and I want to say that um, there there begins to be a problem if we believe that God resorts to violence to solve problems, because then it makes it a whole lot easier to justify resorting to violence ourselves. So in this book, you know, that I, I've just written, Rethinking Life, I, I try to wrestle with that and I build on a lot of the scholarship of other folks who um share this conviction that I have, which is that violence is the product of sin. It is always sinful. You know, that word that I looked at in one of the other episodes is missing the mark. It's falling short of what love demands and requires of us. So violence always falls short. And we might even have things that we can, you know, in our head, hypothetical situations or wars or self-defense that we think we might use violence or justify violence. But maybe we could always say, that it is sinful it's falling short of what god's perfect will is and over centuries you know christians have often accommodated the the logic of empire we've we've been unable to think outside the box of Justified violence or redemptive violence or outside the box of the the thought that like more stuff makes you happy, right? That you can buy happiness. Uh, you know, my friend Chad Meyer says that that it only took a few days to get God's enslaved people physically out of Pharaoh's empire, but we're still working to get the empire out of us. Sometimes our imaginations are still colonized. Our priorities, our values. And um this I believe is where Jesus shines so brightly. Because Jesus comes to show us where the law has fallen short, where our own projection of ourselves onto God happens because we see God without the blind spots, you know, in Jesus. We see um as um as as we look at Jesus i mean you, you you just need to look at the sermon on the mount right maybe that's one of the things that we could all go back to matthew 5 through 7 and look at the jesus's you know longest most exquisite sermon as, as the sermon on the mount as we know it and see how upside down and countercultural the revolutionary values of Jesus really are i mean he reorients everything how we interact with evil how we hold our possessions, how we respond to violence. The gospel confronts our own human instincts, our own impulses. Uh, the gospel, the Sermon on the Mount, it teaches us that it's better to die than to kill. It's better to give than to receive. If we want to be rich, then we should give everything away. If we want to find our lives, we got to lose them. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> God blesses. All the people that this world has cursed and crushed, the meek, the merciful, the poor, the peacemakers. So this is the upside down kingdom of God, where the last are first, the first are last, the mighty are cast from their thrones, the lowly are lifted up, the upside down kingdom of God, where a homeless baby leads us home. Come on, everybody, where the one who is executed leads us into eternal life. Uh, so this is the kind of paradox that we see even in Jesus, that he enters into the suffering of the world to expose our violence. He absorbs all the violence of the world on the cross in order to not glorify violence, but to subvert it. And uh, and so what we sometimes do is we uh, prefer the God of our own making. <laughs> Over the countercultural God that we see in Scripture. I mean, oh, law, we've got politicians here in the United States that have, um, you know, that say things like if God had had an assault rifle, if Jesus had carried an assault rifle, then the story might have ended differently. I mean, we actually have bumper stickers, y'all, with Jesus holding an (laughs) AR-15. And you you start to go, wow. I think it was George Bernard Shaw that said, God created man in his image, and we decided to return the favor. So, we can create a version of God um, that is like us, right? And um, Kristen du, uh, my friend, Kristen Dume, in her wonderful book, uh, Jesus and John Wayne, she talks about how, uh, you know, the problem is it, that like with John Wayne or with tr- Donald Trump, it's not that Christians think that that Donald Trump is the Messiah or that John Wayne was the Messiah. They just wish that the Messiah looked more like Donald Trump or John Wayne than Jesus. <laughs> we would prefer uh, a savior that came and whooped out a can of, uh, you know, that kicked some butt but instead we have a God who was, who is perfect love. And it's not that kind of anemic, sentimental love, but it's the harsh and dreadful love that leads you to a cross that says, I love even the people who are killing me, who don't know what they're doing and they are not um, beyond redemption either. So it's that, it's that love that we see perfected in Jesus. But, um, Sometimes we prefer the God of our own making as Anne Lamott, the great um, writer and thinker, wonderful, uh, just creative leader in our country. She says, you can safely assume that you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people as you do. (laughs) So God, though, I think is always working through the cracks of everything. And this is where, as even we see the violence in scripture, that God is healing us of our own violence, that God is teaching us another way forward. Even I look at scripture and the um, the plagues and the stories of the locusts, you know, and the the, uh, the rivers turning red. And I mean, some of this stuff, even like the flood, Uh, uh, that you know of Noah's Ark this these iconic stories uh, a lot of times they are about a society that has grown sick with violence that's exactly what scripture says um, as we lead up to the story of the the great flood and Noah's Ark and it it, it's kind of like a, a, a a remnant remains um like the pruning back of a fig tree. And I say that like still wrestling with this because when a fig tree is pruned, people don't die. You know what I mean? We're talking about massive death. And maybe it is sort of like a um, divine chemotherapy or something. I, I definitely become convinced that God doesn't need violence, that God is trying to heal us of the violence. And violence is always the disease not the cure. So God is redeeming the world. And that's what the gospel, the the entire story of the Bible is a love story. It's about a God that so loved the world. As the gospel of John says, God uh, did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. There was something worth saving. And that's what we see over and over. There's something worth saving. The world that God created is good and it's never beyond redemption. So there is a point, you know, where you start to see that people misuse their own power, even these messengers of God who, um, uh, you know, Elijah at one point um, called down fire from heaven to incinerate a hundred Samaritans whom he mistakenly thought had come to harm him. He he calls down fire from heaven, and then you know Jesus' his own disciples. They want to do the same thing, They're like uh, the the sons of thunder, as they are known. James and John want to call down uh, violence, uh, you know, fire from heaven, and and Jesus scolds them and says, "No, no." He rebukes them and says, "That is not how we do this thing." So when we look at scripture, we see um, even Samson, um, you know, who. Has, was endowed with exceptional, miraculous gifts, but he also misused them. He succumbed to the temptation to misuse his power and in, in his own strength and the misuse of his power, it led to his death and it caused the temple to collapse, killing both himself and thousands of other people. So I wanna say that you know these heroes of our faith can misuse their help, power. Even Moses, who was an you know iconic leader in scripture, but he also lashed out. You know he used his own uh, power to murder someone in Exodus 2. He had a little fit of rage and smacked a rock with his staff and and that, water did gush out of the rock, but God wasn't happy about it. And God rebuked Moses and didn't allow him to enter into the promised land. So uh, maybe there's some of this violence that we see in us, right? And it's in the heroes in scripture that they they tend to to uh, use their power for good and for bad, uh, just as the, the disciples were tempted with. to call down fire from heaven. So um uh, you know there is one reading of uh, the blood sacrifices that uh, Rene Girard and so many others have done great work with this to say that that the blood we need we wanted a way that we could reconcile. Uh, for the things that we've done wrong, so we we began to create this idea that we would sacrifice blood to atone for the blood that we had shed, uh, and you know, at first there were human sacrifices, even child sacrifices, and then we moved towards animal sacrifices, sort of a a type of penance. Um, um, but it was still this idea that, that blood will atone for our bloodshed. So God is, uh, you know, you know, weaning us off of our culturally conditioned belief that violence will heal our violence or bo- that blood will atone for the bloodshed. Um, and that's why Jesus, you know, spends this whole thing on its head when we think of Jesus as the Lamb of God, right? The sacrifice to end all. All sacrifices, God blows up the sacrificial system in Jesus and said, there is no need for more blood. Come on, somebody. We're almost out of time, but we're going to go deeper into this because I want to say that that original sin where Cain killed his brother Abel and the blood cries out to God from the ground, everything that lo- that was lost in the Garden of Eden and in that inaugural murder of Cain and Abel, all of the blood that cries out from God in the ground, God comes in the form of jesus and in jesus we see a god who would rather die than kill and this jesus you know uh, as we look at jesus in scripture he's constantly saying um things like this in john 5 you look to scripture You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. We have Jesus saying, you look to scripture because you believe it has life. But the scriptures are pointing to me. I am the life. I am the Word made flesh. So it's Jesus telling us that we can study the Bible and think it gives us life while missing the fact that the entire story points to Him and that we are to come to Jesus for life. The Bible is the menu, not the meal. Woo! Come on, somebody. The Bible is the menu, not the meal. And so this is Christ. The word made flesh. Or as one of my neighbors who speaks primarily Spanish, she says, sometimes we'll make it too complicated. And we think, uh, you know, even like incarnation. And she says, if you order your burrito con carne, it means with meat. <laughs> con carne means with meat. And the incarnation is God con carne, God in the flesh, in the, with meat and with skin on. That's what Jesus is. So I want to say to you today, Maybe you've experienced all kinds of violent versions of religion, or you've seen Christianity distorted so that it doesn't look a lot or sound a lot like Jesus. But in our community, when we get donations, we get a lot of donations. And so, you know, before you eat dairy that's donated, it needs to pass the sniff test, right? (laughs) You got to smell it before you eat it. And there's versions of Christianity that just don't pass the sniff test. And if it doesn't smell, good, if it doesn't smell like Jesus, if it doesn't smell like the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, then let's not call it Christianity, because Christian means Christ-like, and God is like Jesus. So don't give up on Jesus, even in spite of the embarrassing things that Christians have done in Christ's name. Thank you all for listening. This is Shane Claiborne. Go to our website, Red Letter Christians, and join the movement.